Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Brood parasites are birds who try to trick other birds into raising their young. To stressed out parents, that might sound pretty tempting. Just drop off your eggs in another parent's nest and get them to do the hard work. But it's more than just a lazy bird's lucky day. It's also a great way to ensure the survival of your young. And a new study that comes out today in Nature Communications makes clear just how strategic these birds' work can be. The study's lead author is Washington University Professor Carlos Botero. He is an assistant professor of biology in arts and sciences, and he joins us today. So, Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So, is it fair to say that brood parasites are basically birds looking for foster parents to raise their young? Yeah, I think that basically that is a correct appreciation. And, and so, what's an example of a bird who does this? Uh, so around here, we have things like cowbirds, which uh, can parasitize over 300 different host types. Hmm. So there are 300 different types of nests. They might decide to just drop their, their eggs off there? Yes. Yeah, so they, they can lay their eggs in any of 300 different species nests. So that's a local bird doing this. How common is this in, in the avian world? Um, brood parasites are about 1% of all the known species of birds, mm. and uh, they parasitized around roughly 20% of, of the 10,000 or so species that we know about birds. Hmm. So they're dropping off these eggs. Um, are the host birds ever aware that these aren't their offsprings? How do, how do they react to having a strange egg within their nest? In some cases, they are. Actually, the, 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 there's a, a very strong arms race between the parasites and their hosts hmm. because obviously the hosts do not want to waste energy and resources raising the kids from somebody else. Um, some species, for example, some host species, for example, reject the nest altogether when they realize there's an extra egg they did not lay. Some others have developed markings in their own eggs so that the parasites have had to counter-develop markings that resemble those. Hmm. Um, some, some other species even kind of have like these special markings in the beak of their young so that when, they, when they're born and they can look at these beaks, they can tell which offspring are theirs and which ones are not. Uh, so there's a lot of counter adaptations in which there's a fight going on between the host and the parasites to try to, one is trying to sneak the eggs in, the other one is trying to block it off. That's fascinating. And, and you mentioned the idea of the host parents end up rejecting the nest. They don't just reject the one egg, they, they just abandon everybody? Well, it depends. Some some hosts, for example, are, are are only able to tell, or as far as we can tell, some hosts are only able to tell that there's a new a new nest, and then it's simpler to just abandon entirely that project, build a new nest, and start again. Hmm. Some others are more discriminatory. They can actually see the eggs and realize that there's something weird. But there's some others that just do not notice, or they just cannot figure out that there's something weird going on, and they end up um, they end up raising the parasitic chick all the way to fledging. Hmm. So this is such an interesting world. Um, this new study that you have out today, you set out to look at a, a particular piece of this. What, what were you interested in studying here? Well, so the interesting thing about laying your eggs in somebody else's nest is that you have absolutely no control over what's happening once the egg is out. Um, and we were wondering whether environments that are very unpredictable in terms of both the host behavior and the way in which the climate parameters change over time, um, we were wondering whether that uncertainty could influence the, the decisions that parasite moms are making, specifically because if you have if you if you had some sort of some information that would allow you to tell which the best potential host 
for a given habit that is, then you should always make sure that you only parasitize that host and that host only. But in many cases, that information is not available at all. And the next best thing that you have to do is figure out how, with all this uncertainty, with all these choices that you have, how to make the best out of a bad situation. So the study basically was trying to address whether we could detect any changes in the diversity, meaning the different kinds of Oh, Carlos, you were sounding great, and all of a sudden you're kind of coming in fuzzy. Uh, can you still hear me? Uh, I think we're having some problems with your connection. Um, I'm not 100% sure. You sounded so great there just a minute ago. Can you just say something else so we can see if we can hear you? No, I believe that we have lost uh, Carlos Botero. We're going to call him right back. Um, I'm sure, like me, you're absolutely riveted by what he's describing here. Um, and we're talking about brood parasites. Turns out about 1% of birds do this where they're actually dropping their eggs in somebody else's nest. And in some cases, many other types of birds' nests. Um, sort of a fascinating thing. And as Carlos was describing, um, there's many different ways that birds react to having their nest penetrated by a different different species of bird. Um, and Carlos is an assistant professor of biology and arts and sciences at Washington University. He has a new study that is out about this just today, brand new study in nature communications. And I understand that we are getting Carlos back. So I appreciate you all hanging with us as we work on that. Um, Carlos, can you hear me now? I can. I'm sorry for the problems with the connection. Oh, not your fault at all. This this happens. This is part of doing this show remotely, and, and thank you for bearing with us. But you sound really good right now. So you were talking about um, what you decided to examine. What did you predict that you would find as you were going into this puzzle? Yes. So so one of the things that we were we were curious about was whether with increasing uncertainty in both host behavior and, and climatic variables, um, whether this host would make strategic decisions that would somehow allow them to gain some reproductive success in conditions that they, they couldn't really expect, that they couldn't know exactly what the best thing to do would be. And the prediction would be that if things become more viable and more unpredictable, the best thing that you could do theoretically is to spread your, your, your risk hmm. by parasitizing a greater, a greater number of species and, and species that exhibit a greater diversity in their behaviors. And that's basically what we found. And so you did end up finding that. They're, they're spreading this risk around. How did you go about gathering the evidence on this? Well, so it turns out that there's hundreds and thousands of, of studies on, on root parasites. Uh, it's one of those really well-known behaviors in the avian world. So we went through the literature collating all the references for which species are parasitized by which parasites. Um, we also went through uh, climatological data to figure out like, how variable and how unpredictable the different environments were in terms of both rainfall regimes and temperature changes. Um, and then we also added a series of other variables that could be important for the decision of how many hosts you have. Like, for example, we, we looked at behaviors that, of the host, like how, how they construct their nest. Do they have an open nest or a closed nest, which would, might, might be easier, uh, less, less, hard, less, less easy to predate? Um, we, we measured things like um, how, whether the hosts were migratory or not, mm -hmm. a series of other variables that, that allowed us to look at, at both the risk from the environmental perspective and the host behavior perspective. Okay, so as you looked at all these studies, brought all this data together, controlled for various variables, what's your big takeaway from what it tells us about this brood parasite behavior? 
Well, basically, these guys are uh, a shining example of of how you deal with an environment that you cannot predict. As I said before, you you would expect that if you knew what the best thing to do, what the best option to take, um, that if you knew if you knew that beforehand, that's exactly what you should do. But when you can't, when there's no information available, the next be- best thing that you can do is diversify your risk. And that's exactly what hedge fund managers do in the human world when you don't know which stocks are going to do better or when they're going to change. Typically, what they do is that they have a portfolio that they manage so that they, when some stocks falter and others do well, over time, they, they, they end up making much better money than just choosing one option and sticking with it. Hmm. So these uh, these savvy birds, they are basically the hedge fund managers of the avian world. I love that. Um, as we're dealing with a climate that is increasingly in flux and, and other changes, what do you think this means now that you know uh, this is this is how it changes their behavior? Well, these kinds of these kinds of projects help us address not just things specific to brood parasites, but also much larger questions about how, as you say, how species could deal with climate change. Mm. And one of the things that we know, for example, is that a lot of the diversity of parasites is currently under threat with the change that we're experiencing um, in our in our weather patterns across the world. So understanding a little better how they behave and how they deal with risks and how interactions between, well, complex interactions between species like the ones we were looking at, how, how they result in different evolution adaptations that, that can help us better uh, predict what's going to happen and better take action when it's needed. Hmm. So you describe this as they're almost hedging their bets by spreading these eggs around. Is there a cost that comes with that kind of decision making where they're hedging their bets as opposed to putting all their eggs in one basket? By the way, I just have to say I love how many cliches are tied into the subject that we're talking about here. But is there a cost that comes with bet hedging? Yes, there is. So as I said before, if, if somehow you had inside information that would tell you exactly what the best option would be, you could do much better by just sticking with that option. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes when you when you diversify your behaviors, what ends up happening is that a lot of the things that you chose are not the ideal thing to do. And so therefore you end up getting way less benefit than what you would get if you had chosen the best option. Mm-hmm. The problem is that if you don't know what the best option is beforehand, when you have to lay your eggs, all you can do is diversify and then hope that one of the options that you chose is going to be good enough that it's going to give you some reproductive output. And that over time, and if you keep doing that, then you're going to end up having much more, much more benefit overall than if you had just chosen one thing. So the cost basically is on a given year, you're never going to do as good as you could have if you had known in advance what you should do. But across years, you are definitely going to do much better than if you had stick, uh, stuck to one, one, one choice. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating to think about these adaptations and, and this bird behavior, not to get into another cliche, but we think of birds as being bird-brained. Uh, sounds like there's actually a lot of savvy that is going into these decisions they're making. That is true. In, in fact, the, the cliche of bird brain is actually very, very outdated. It turns out that birds can have incredible cognitive capacities. They can do things that we formerly considered were just kind of like only humans that could do them, like crows can solve puzzles, they can remember, they can plan, they can have friendships. There's a lot of things that we see in the avian world that do not fit in that, that idea that bird brains are somehow suboptimal. Well, it's been fascinating um, learning where the cliches are right, where the cliches are wrong, and what the birds are up to. So, Carlos Botero, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Sarah, thank you for having me, and sorry for the problems with the connection. 
No problem at all. Um, and Carlos, again, he's an assistant professor of biology at Washington University. His new study is out just today in Nature Communications. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.